The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said to his disciples, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending you upon you what my Father promised, So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The wrong place to begin is to ask what happened. But if we were to begin there, of the big mysteries of the faith, I'd rather talk about Easter. Maybe that's why I got assigned to preach for Ascension. I do not claim to be able to explain miracles, but I can in some sense at least imagine the resurrection. In the darkness of the tomb, beneath the linen shroud, specific things happen. Blood begins to flow, neurons fire, nerves awaken, muscles twitch. The same body that was on the cross, buried, sealed in the tomb, has been raised. And the Gospels go out of their way to tell us of Jesus' physicality in eating, touching, even revealing his scars after his resurrection. Although he is also clearly different, he is there. He is present in a way that corresponds to how we naturally want to understand presence a particular someone who is somewhere, even if he does occasionally vanish into thin air. The ascension as an event equally in time, equally involving Jesus' body, forces the obvious question, where did he go? Which is a bit of an improvement on the wrong question, what happened, but only a bit. The only help the text gives us is up. Jesus went up. It doesn't help very much. We think in merely natural categories of physics. So ascension invites bigger questions. Reading the text, even the meaning of simple words like where and go and up become mysterious. A new consciousness is needed. 
So keeping open to what some of these words might be pointing to, we remember that the ascension theologically is two realities. The first is that Jesus, continuing as fully human and fully God, is at the right hand of the Father in heaven, interceding for us, ruling and reigning over the universe. His physical risen body is somewhere. The second is that, as Leo the Great says in his sermon on the ascension, the visible presence of Jesus has passed into the sacraments. It is not half in heaven and half here, but heaven and earth are joined in the risen, ascended, exalted body of Jesus the Christ. Jesus' particular human life is joined to heaven, and Jesus' ascended life is visited on earth. Jesus is not now dismembered from human life and experience, but adorned by it fully glorified in the very flesh that was born, lived, died, was raised, and is now ascended. And so this glorification is the passing from the specificity of his earthly and even risen life to the yet incarnate but universal state of life as and in heaven. Jesus participates in the beyond time and space of his presence with the Father and the Holy Spirit, which is called heaven. And under the veil of bread and wine of the Holy Eucharist, the water, the Holy Baptism, the other outward and visible signs of sacramental grace, truly continues his ministry of presence and work among us in his church. By his very ascending into heaven, to the realm or office of reality beyond our present senses, he is able then to descend continually and universally and gift us with the inward and spiritual grace of his life through the Holy Spirit. All that to say that we do not proclaim a mere memory of someone who once was but is no more, or worse yet, a mere spiritual presence to which we may look for ideas and concepts. Given that, I would like to explore the notion of an ascension-informed and infused spirituality, meaning that if heaven and earth are joined, if the presence we proclaim is indeed the case, what might the longing for union and transformation be like? Because what we believe about how Jesus is present in and to our souls informs what spiritual life will be, the nature of what kinds of persons we are invited to become. And so we say with confident faith that Jesus is present here now. Through the Holy Spirit and within our sacramental celebrations, that is real and true. However, Jesus' absence to our senses, and to our direct encounter is a quality of his presence. This mystery is often neglected as an aspect of maturity in Christ and misunderstood as something is wrong or is not working, a failure to unlock the secret to bliss, 
As N.T. Wright says in Surprised by Hope, the one who is indeed present with us by the Holy Spirit is also the Lord who is strangely absent, strangely other, strangely different from us, and over against us. The one who tells Mary Magdalene not to cling on to him. And then Louis-Marie Chavez has this wonderful phrase in his book, Symbol and Sacrament, the presence of the absence of Jesus, which for him is the essence of faith. Because it is by faith that we are taught to long, to hope, to watch, to wait, and to love. It is the very presence of the absence of Jesus that stirs the cry, Come, Lord Jesus. So the spirituality of an awa- is an awareness of soul that He for whom we most deeply crave is seen in glimpses through a dark glass, not as yet face to face. Our prayer and other spiritual practices are energized by the expectation that we will, in our own death and resurrection, join the incarnate Christ in heaven and become like He is. But this hope is less our comprehension of the meaning of the mystery of the ascended Christ and more the acceptance of the dazzling wonder of His strange otherness. The resurrection accounts and the conversion of Paul Give us some stories of this. Jesus' untouchability for Mary Magdalene, his disappearance from the table at Emmaus, the ascension itself, the bright light of his appearance to Paul. All apply metaphorical language to an experience which leaves as many questions as answers. And it is a pattern which continues to operate within our own discipleship. The transformation begins in the encounter, but echoes long after Jesus is gone, because he is not gone. He is present in his absence. His withdrawal is part of his coming. He is both processing and recessing at the same time. So we are invited within our souls to dance with the paradox that Jesus is both somewhere in a way that makes encounter possible and real in this life, but never circumscribed within our containers of understanding are located exclusively in this and not that, only with us and not also with them. This is where the nature of the mystery directly confronts our stubborn pride and selfishness. Because we like to re-particularize Jesus in ways we can define. Rather than inhabiting the mystery of the presence of the absence of Christ in this life, we rush to fill the void by creating a Jesus of our own design. But Jesus is not available to be hired as the mascot for our projects or the guru for our narcissistic self-enlightenment. He does not enter into our conflicted us-them in-out categories which say if we are right, those who are different must be wrong. 
If we believe the Bible, those with a different interpretation must be lesser Christians. Now certainly there is right and wrong, truth and falsehood, but Jesus presents and models a way of reconciliation and justice that begins within the individual human heart and then in love works itself out into the surrounding community. As Jesus says, he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. A spirituality of ascension is a willingness to accept that while by God's grace we are at times given consolation and peace, the presence can also visit us in an acute sense of its absence. Prayer is abiding in the growing capacity to be visited by the strange otherness of the ascended Jesus. It is an intimacy that will not yield to familiarity and comfort according to our categories, but rather evokes humility, reverence, and wonder. The gift of this absence is that it can clear the way of images and metaphors that may have served a purpose at one time, but that now get in the way to narrowly define the relationship or are features of an earlier phase and need to be replaced with different images or none at all. There is a wisdom saying, if on the road you meet the Buddha, kill the Buddha. I would adapt it to say, If on the road you meet a Jesus who is nothing more than a larger version of yourself, who agrees with you, likes what you like, hates what you hate, kill him. That is not the transcendent Lord, but an invention of your ego. When the simultaneity of transcendence and imminence opens up in us, we will encounter the Lord who will say and do things we do not like or understand. He will love people we would rather he not. He will seem slow or inactive in relation to our agendas for instant change and immediate satisfaction. As we gather in a few moments around the altar where Christ deigns to be present to us, under the veil of bread and wine. We participate directly and physically in this joining of heaven and earth in Christ's ascended presence. This great mystery is the demonstration of Christ who passes from heaven into bread and wine, from bread and wine into us, and from us into the world to live and proclaim the dazzling wonder of the one who fills all things and with whom we will dwell forever. Amen.